Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, listeners, to the Absolute Return Podcast. On today's show, we welcome special guest, Dragonfly Energy CEO, Dennis Ferris. Dragonfly Energy is a leader in energy storage and producer of deep-cycle lithium-ion storage batteries. On the show, Dennis discusses the advantages of lithium-ion products over lead-acid batteries, the outlook for lithium carbonate prices, key aspects of the business that investors should consider, his favorite productivity hack, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show on lithium-ion battery technology with Dragonfly Energy CEO, Dennis Ferris. All right, we're going to be talking about Dragonfly Energy lithium-ion batteries on today's show with the Dragonfly CEO, Dennis Ferris. Dennis, calling in from Reno. How are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, excited to get uh, into the details of the business that you founded and now lead, especially on the precipice of all this growth that's happening there. But prior to getting into that, I just wanted to get uh, you to give us a quick overview of your background, specifically on the entrepreneurship side. I also understand that you were a university professor as well. How did you make that transition? Yeah, it's it's a pretty long story. Um, I, I was a professor for about 12 years uh, in engineering. And um, I had been working on issues related to production of energy devices, uh, solar cells, fuel cells, eventually made my way around to lithium-ion batteries. And through that whole process, I was developing... Um, I was actually developing new technologies for the manufacturing uh, of these devices, um, primarily through my my focus on fluid mechanics and aerosol mechanics and powder processing and nanotechnology. So as I was developing new technologies and filing patents, I became a little bit more familiar with um, the world of uh, starting companies and tech companies in particular. Um, I I have a PhD from Caltech, and I, I know a, a slew of classmates that went that route rather than the academia, the academia route. And so I was also familiar with um, some successes and some of the pitfalls associated with that. Um, and ultimately, I guess it came down to my desire to wanting to make a more rapid impact, which I think um, is easier to do through a company than it is to do through academic research. I think academic research is important, um, but ultimately it's it's an activity that occurs over a much longer time scale. And one thing that I did recognize was I didn't really know how to run a business as, as an engineering professor. So when I left academia, I went right to business school to get an executive MBA. And actually that happened at the same time that I founded uh, Dragonfly Energy. And so I was developing new technologies, but I also had an eye on the business and I very much wanted to drive revenue quickly. And you really can't do that with new technologies. So as I was working on 
the research associated with the manufacturing technologies for lithium-ion batteries, Dragonfly Energy went to market with a line of battery packs and marketed and sold these packs with great success. And that really drove the technology. So I feel like I got, you know, by focusing on the business early on and helping that drive the science, I feel like I, I got the best of both world, both worlds with that approach. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And when you look at your background with the going through academia and then, as you mentioned, business school, how, how would you compare or what do you think some of the advantages to, to your background versus someone who is at, say, like a larger tech company and then founded their own business. Is there anything unique from your experience that you would point to? I think what's unique for me is, I, I work, as a professor, I worked on so many different things. I mean, I, I talk about um, production of energy devices, but I've done all kinds of other things, you know, just fundamental fluid mechanics and molecular dynamics simulations and building mass spectrometers and measuring air pollution in the field. Uh, I, I feel like my background had a, a much wider breadth of experience technology-wise. Um, whereas if you come right out of grad school or if you've been working in a technology company and you spin out from there, then you really have been focused on one particular area. And the for me, the reason I think that's important is because a lot of progress is really made at at the intersection of multiple disciplines. And so when I applied what I knew in terms of chemistry and aerosol mechanics to the production of lithium ion batteries, I feel like I was able to look at it at the problem from a different lens. And I think with that breadth of knowledge, it helps to approach problems with more experience and maybe with a, a different viewpoint than, uh, than a more traditional route. Now looking at Dragonfly's products, these lithium-ion battery packs seem to have uh, great product market fit, um, you know, good traction in the market thus far. So wondering if you could talk about some of the advantages versus uh, lead-acid batteries, and conversely, any challenges in terms of customers making the transition? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, we went to market with a line of battery packs that we're basically bringing in lithium iron phosphate cells and producing these packs specifically to replace lead acid batteries, which is the incumbent technology for a lot of these deep cycle applications, particularly the ones that we've gained great traction in RVs and, and off-grid solar projects and boats and that sort of thing. And the reason that we were very successful at this is because we knew, we knew going into it that lead acid batteries were a significant pain point for uh, the consumer for the, for the user of these product uh, of these products, and there's a couple reasons for that. The most important, I think, is they're just unreliable. Like if you if you over discharge a lead acid battery, you can do great damage to it, and it will never perform the same way again. 
there are other reasons as well. They're, they're just really heavy. They're toxic. You know, you, you can't just landfill a, a lead-acid battery. Not that you can landfill lith- a traditional lithium-ion battery, but lithium-iron phosphate, at least, is, is uh, far less toxic. There's no, you know, heavy metals. There's no corrosiveness. There's no uh, sulfuric acid in, in our deep cycle alternatives. So all these things, I think, contributed to an environmental benefit. And folks, ultimately, they want to have an environmentally benign solution. And cost-wise, over the lifetime of the battery, the lithium alternative lasts so much longer in terms of cycle life. You, you, I mean, it, by comparison, it's like you, are, you never have to replace it. It lasts like 10 times longer. And so even though you pay an upfront penalty, which I would say is the, the one disadvantage, you've got to pay for the battery up front and you're paying a premium of you know, almost double. Um, but because it lasts so much longer, the cost of ownership is, uh, is a lot less. So you have these current lithium-ion products that are performing well in the market. I was wondering, where are you guys investing in for growth in terms of new products? And where do you think the industry is heading just in general? Well, uh, if, if you're talking about the lithium-ion battery industry, uh, there are, there, there's always new developments that are coming out in terms of new materials, new cathodes, uh, the ability to use a lithium metal anode, higher power densities. So in terms of the industry itself, it really depends on the application. Uh, so if, if you look at how we're spending, how we are investing our resources, Obviously, we're focused on those industries where lead-acid batteries are the incumbent deep-cycle storage technology. So beyond RVs and boats, uh, you're looking at things like forklifts and material handling equipment and work trucks and data centers. And there, there's basically a, uh, a market that exceeds $70 billion uh, total annual uh, potential. And so that's something that even when, when you leave out electric vehicles, this is, this is a very important market. Even before you get to revolutionizing grid storage, which is ultimately want, want, what we want to do, there's a huge market that can benefit from a lead-acid battery alternative. And so we're investing our resources in expanding our footprint to some of these adjacent markets. In terms of what we're doing technology-wise, the focus of our technology is the, the solvent-free production of lithium-ion battery electrodes that has since expanded into the production of an all-solid-state lithium-ion battery. And our focus is unique when you consider the, the conventional focus or driving force between, behind the development of solid-state batteries because we're not trying to make a more energy-dense battery. We're still focused on lithium iron phosphate. We're still focused on graphite. We're not trying to make a lithium metal anode. We're not trying to charge the battery in 15 minutes. We're not trying to make an electric vehicle battery. What we are trying to do is make a battery that is extremely safe. And by that, I mean non-flammable. That's why we're removing the liquid electrolyte but one that still can last thousands of cycles so that we can have a levelized cost that's low enough that it makes financial sense to incorporate it onto the grid in a in much more widespread fashion. 
So those those are the two parameters we're looking at: safety and levelized costs. Very unique for our application, and in my opinion, that's going to be an important direction that the lithium-ion battery industry is going to is going to go. Apart from the technology required for electric vehicles, and if we look at the lithium-ion battery industry from the top down. What's the competitive environment like? Who are your major competitors and how does Dragonfly differentiate itself? Well, given our current market and the size of our potential market in the near term, we still consider lead acid the the primary uh, competitive technology. So that is still our main focal point is displacing lead acid. If you're looking long term, if you look at our desire to really change how we can incorporate renewable energy onto the grid, more solar, more wind. That means a lot more storage on the grid. That is sort of the Wild West right now, and it's wide open. And there's no way that a single storage technology is going to be able to accommodate the the buffer that the grid needs in order to basically run the future on renewable energy, on solar and wind. And therefore, I, I don't see a lot of downstream competition. There's more upstream competition. That is that by that I mean the competition to acquire the raw materials, primarily the lithium. And so, you know, I do think that that's something that's going to become more alleviated uh, as we move forward here, and more mines and uh, more mines open and more discoveries are made. But I think that that's what I would consider the primary competitive force would be the the upstream part rather than the downstream consumer part. And I did want to get into the weeds on that one, specifically the price of battery-grade lithium carbonate has increased dramatically and some forecast that it will continue to do so just with the uh, popularity and growth in electric vehicles. What are your thoughts on the future of this limited resource as batteries become more prevalent in energy infrastructure? Uh, You're right that the price of lithium carbonate has, has gone up dramatically. I think it's a temporary problem, and it's a problem not because of the limited supply of lithium, but the, the limited rate at which we can open lithium mines. So eventually, it's a problem that's going to be sorted out over the next uh, couple of decades. But there has been such a rapid growth in terms of not just the opening of lithium mines, but in terms of the discovery of lithium. So I, I kind of view this as where, where oil was early in the, in the 1900s. You know, there's first you get the easy to get oil and then you move on to the harder to get oil. And I think that's where we are right now. And there's certainly new technologies for lithium extraction that are being developed right now. Uh, but, you know, the easiest to get lithium in terms of lithium brines and evaporation ponds, that's been ongoing. Um, but there is more and more technology that's being developed to get lithium out of different sources, clays and rocks. And I think that's going to continue. And we just keep finding more and more deposits globally, but especially in the state of Nevada, which is where Dragonfly Energy is. There's, there's an enormous amount of lithium anywhere where you have these, these ancient inland seas. Nevada is one of those places, and we do have uh, a lot of lithium and accessible lithium in the ground here in Nevada. So to answer your question, I think there's going to be a short-term run on lithium. I think that Dragonfly Energy is one of those companies that that is doing our best to secure that lithium in in the medium term. 
and ensure that we are going to have a supply of lithium to be able to, to do what we want to do. But long term, I do think this is going to be a problem that will sort itself out. And will that specifically affect you guys, like in terms of pricing or manufacturing of your product? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, you, you have to remember that lithium is, is actually by mass a relatively small portion of a lithium ion battery. Uh, you know, lit, lithium is, I think, comprises something like 2% of the mass of our, of our lithium ion packs. And the we don't have any nickel and cobalt in our batteries, but the price of of nickel and cobalt is actually uh, can affect the cost of a pass of a pack more dramatically than the cost of lithium can. So at least we don't have to worry about that. The lithium iron phosphate in particular is is nice because it is cheaper in terms of the uh, the other elements and materials that comprise the pack and. I think that even though the cost of lithium is going up, primarily for the markets that we are infiltrating now, it's not going to make it prohibitive in terms of our ability to gain traction in those markets. This podcast is brought to you by Accelerate, one of Canada's leading alternative investment solution providers. Do you want to hedge your investment portfolio and protect your nest egg from significant drawdowns? Look no further than the Accelerate Absolute Return Hedge Fund, a long-short equity ETF that trades under the ticker symbol HEDGE, H-D-G-E, on the TSX. HEDGE, your uncorrelated portfolio diversifier. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And then moving on a go-forward basis, can you talk a little bit about some of your plans to achieve production scale? Yeah, so you're talking about the, the solid-state technology that we are in the process of rolling out. And right now, the timeline is we're building our pilot plant now, um, barring other logistics issues that have been playing a lot of companies. I believe we're going to be finishing uh, that pilot plant at some point in the next year, and we should have pouch cells rolling off of that plant, solid-state pouch cells rolling out off of that plant next year. At the point that we basically hit the necessary metrics, and by that I mean the cyclability, then we're going to move rapidly to a gigafactory-scale production facility, likely in the five-gigawatt-hour range. Uh, And so I'd say we are a couple years away from that. That should be a big one. Gigafactories are not small. Now, some exciting news recently announced a going public transaction through SPAC, Chardon Next Tech Acquisition 2. And if we look at the market, I mean, there are lots of SPACs out there. What qualities made Chardon Next Tech stand out specifically? Well, first of all, when we were going through the process of first deciding how we were going to go public, either through traditional IPO, because we are a a profitable company, so that was an option for us, or going through a SPAC, um, there were a lot of of, uh, considerations, obviously. And at the time, the SPAC made a lot of sense for us in terms of it being a very efficient way to get public, uh, in terms of our ability to, to talk about our new technology. And when we did decide on the SPAC, uh, Chardin Nextech was enthusiastic. I think they saw a lot of potential in us. And I think because of that, they were uh, very amenable to work with, particularly when it came to um, trying to navigate the volatile markets as we were going through this deal. And I think the, 
the the final deal that we came up with made a lot of sense. I think it worked out well for for all stakeholders, and I think it really was the experience that Chardin has in terms of closing SPACs, and there there was some innovation in terms of how do we get to where we need to get to in such a way that we're going to be able to to continue the business in in or I should say accelerate the business in the manner that that we had anticipated going into the process. Ultimately, that's why we're doing this. We want to roll out the pilot line. We want to expand our core business. And we want to be able to um, accelerate in, in a way that we could not do by staying private. So when you're communicating with investors and talking about this deal, what are some of like the key considerations of the transaction that you try to get investors to focus on? Uh, well, the the key considerations have to do with the uniqueness of the company. I mean, there aren't a lot of technology companies like us with game-changing technology that could revolutionize a very important issue, and that is grid storage, that are also profitable now. So we went to market. We were we have a track record of uh, product development and commercialization of products and profitability. And that's something that that really is unique. But also in terms of the technology, our focus on grid storage with a solid state battery is unique. As I mentioned before, we're not trying to make a car battery. We're not trying to make a, a battery with a lithium metal anode. That's why we apply solid state. We're actually applying solid state to make a non-flammable, long-lasting battery. And that is unique in, in the lithium-ion space. So I would say that if I were talking to investors, it's really um, the uniqueness of this opportunity, the, the rapid growth that we've demonstrated, and the ability or the, the roadmap that we have to continue rapid growth, growth through these uh, existing downstream markets in which the incumbent is lead asset batteries, and the long-term play of the addressing the significant grid storage issue which, by the way, is going to become increasingly more important when everyone gets an electric vehicle. So it's going to stress the grid that much more. So, you know, I think it's it's certainly a, a problem that we've addressed in a unique way. And it's just, you know, the, the opportunities are just endless. And what's the solution to that? potential future grid problem because as you indicated if everyone gets an electric vehicle how can things function properly and how does how will your technology help with that well you you need to stabilize the grid and that can be done by basically building more fossil fuel burning plants right or by putting more renewable energy on the grid since everyone's getting an electric car the whole goal is to stop burning fossil fuels so rather than replacing burning fossil fuels in your internal combustion engine um, with a fossil fuel burning plant, it makes more sense to put more renewable energy on the grid that is more solar and and wind in particular. But the problem is those are intermittent sources of energy and therefore require a lot more energy buffering on the grid. And that's why you need storage. That's why you need batteries. So our approach is to make the battery that is energy dense enough and safe enough and inexpensive enough that it could be deployed in, in every building, in every home. Now, there's certainly some larger scale storage technologies that can be applied as well, uh, whether it be 
gravimetric storage or you know pumped hydro or phase change materials, molten salts. You know, there, there's all sorts. Uh, there's all sorts of relatively inexpensive solutions that can and should be applied on the on the grid as well. But ultimately, the solution to this is going to be a lot more grid storage and a lot more renewable energy and electricity generation on the grid. Seems like a much more sustainable future. Now, one last fun question before letting you go. Dennis, as a founder, CEO, former professor, what's your favorite productivity hack? And do you have any tips for managing your time effectively? Well, that's an interesting question um, because it really depends on what I'm doing. Uh, As a professor, I functioned a lot differently than I do now. (laughs) And by that, I mean, I would immerse myself in problems, in specific problems, and I would just work until they were done. You know, I I would basically, um, I I was able to focus on one thing for a very, very, very long time. If I were to do that now, then I think that would not be beneficial to the company that I'm trying to run here. Um, And I think now things are a little bit different and I need a lot more help. So I surround myself with folks that are very competent and are experts in their own in their own skill set in their own in the field that they're working in, whether it, it's marketing or finance or engineering or robotics or whatever it is. And to to be able to take a uh, more overarching view on what is going on requires a different skill set that I I quite frankly had to become accustomed with and, and to learn. And so now I think it is important for me to have a list of what is going on because there's so much going on and to be able to run through that list and, and meet with the right people and ensure that, uh, you know, the, all the activities that are supposed to be progressing are progressing. So, you know, I was always used to just getting in my own silo and working and, and shutting my door. And now I've got more of an open door policy and I, and I like to help out where I can, but, I certainly have a, a lot of help around here in, in running the show. Seems like to summarize, collaboration would be the key there. Now, thanks so much, Dennis, for coming on the show. Uh, a lot of good insight into what you're up to at Dragonfly, future opportunity. And you really hit the nail on the head in terms of what investors are looking for. That's profitable growth. So wish you the best of success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.